Hello, I'm James George and welcome to Life in Football, the podcast that interviews top professionals working in different fields within our beautiful game. If you love football and dream about working full-time in sport, or if you're just a little bit nosy, then you've come to the right place. This week, I am joined by Warren Horton. Warren was a professional football player with Leicester City and his career extended through the leagues for over 16 years. After his playing days, Warren embarked on a successful career as a journalist working for the likes of TalkSport, Satanta Sports and The Sun. He formed the Horton Consultancy to help enhance the media presence of current and former players as well as top media professionals, including many ladies players. After the amazing win from the Lionesses, I thought it would be a perfect time to get Warren on the show. Before we kick off the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe and we would really appreciate your review and follow us on Twitter at Life in Footy. Hi, Warren. It's been a long time, about 18 years since we worked together at TalkSpot. How are things with you? Not bad, mate. Is it really been 18 years, honestly? Yeah, I, I left back in 2004 or 2005. So, yeah, it has been a long time. It just shows you how long I've been messing around in this game for. Then all of a sudden, you email me asking me to do, do your podcast. So, listen, it's good to see you, James. It's good, really good to see you. Good to catch up with you. And you. So you run your own sports consultancy now, specialising in talent management, media and public relations. I'm really interested to know more about that later in the podcast, but let's take it back to where it all began. You've played football. Talk us back to right at the beginning and how you became a professional football player. Well, it it started like most kids, James. You're in the streets, you're in the playgrounds, you're at school. You play football, you love it and you enjoy it. And it, it... becomes natural, it becomes part of your day, it becomes part of your life. You play for your school, you play for a Sunday league team at the age of nine and ten, and then, like me, you, you, at that age, you, you're good, and you, you, you become one of the best in the area, or one of the best in the city, as in Birmingham. Then went to Aston Villa to the age of 14, loved it, really enjoyed it, and then... That that's when I experienced rejection for the first time because at the age of fourteen they said to me, Warren, you're not quite good enough. And then even that age, you kind of think to yourself, where do I go from here? Within a few months, luckily, um, Leicester gave me the opportunity to join them. And at the age of sixteen, they offered me my first sort of youth team or YTS two year contract. Then and then it, it goes on from there. But like I said. I was like any other kid at the time. You love football. You love playing it. You're not thinking about having a career in it. You just loved being out there playing, enjoying it, honing your skills, wanting to get better. Or someone like me, just all I was interested in was scoring goals. And I met you when you were playing for... God, what team was it? You would have been playing in South East London area when I met you. Uh, and... What what happened from you know before then to then? You were obviously at Leicester. Um, where did you go from Leicester? Did you you know how how far did you get in the professional game? Well, I did two years in the youth team. Did really well. Played well. Scored lots of goals. Then was offered um, a professional contract. So essentially, you leave the youth team and you're in the reserves. You're a first. Essentially, you're fighting to get into that first team squad. It was tough. I think when I look back, I had all the talent and all the ability. 
but I don't feel that I pushed myself and worked hard enough. I expected the opportunity to come without me really grasping it. Because I was 18, 19 at the time, I thought my opportunity would come. I don't really need to work hard. My talent and my ability will shine through. But those opportunities sort of passed me by. And listen, I accept that. I accept what what I did. What I, could I, you have done more? When you, when you say harder. you possibly worked, worked harder, harder in training, you know, turned up afterwards, you know, and yeah, put that a little have, bit extra in. I think I could have pushed myself in training, make make things happen on the training pitch, make the manager notice me more as well. Because I was playing reasonably well in games, scoring goals for the reserves. I was top goal scorer for the reserves at Leicester when wow. they let me go. I think I scored about, I think I scored about eighteen or nineteen goals. But clearly, they didn't think at that age and at that stage of my development that was enough. I wasn't as I don't think I was as physically robust as they would have liked me to have been. You think, you know, twenty twenty years ago, you as a young centre forward. You, you get you're up against big meaty centre halves, and that's a physical confrontation in the first place. So you'll hear a lot of managers nowadays, or in the last 15, 20 years, saying you have to win your physical confrontations first, then your talent and skill takes over. That wasn't always happening with me, so I'd be probably shoved off the ball a few too many times, and players around me would get a little bit frustrated. But I understood that. But once I was on the ball, I was fine. It was just that. As a centre forward, the onus was on me to look after the ball and bring other people into play. Sometimes that process was breaking down, and I understood that, and I knew that was happening myself. But ironically, you, as my- top scorer, you must have just thought, "Well, at some point, I'll get my opportunity," and you must have been shocked when you were released. And that, and that's part of the issue. When I said to you, I thought I'd naturally get my opportunity because of what I was doing, but clearly, what I was doing wasn't quite enough for um, the management and the coaching staff. And they, I remember them telling me, I think it would have been in the March before the end of the season that they weren't going to offer me a new contract. And that, I, it took me a long time to get over that. Don't forget, I'm still having to play reserve team games and having to sort of try and produce my best football. And strangely enough, it felt like a lot of pressure had, um, had gone off me. And I played even better. And then, obviously, their their choices already been made. Their decisions already been made to let me go at the time. And where did you and go from there? I trialed at about three or four sort of as we would call EFL clubs now, and it didn't quite happen. And you can that was a real sort of react stark sort of eye opener about life outside of the professional game at a good level because at the time. Leicester had been promoted to the Premier League and as I'm going as they're going to the Premier League I'm walking out the door which was even more difficult to take as a young player who wanted to be part of um, a squad even being part of a squad James in the Premier League for me at that time would have been amazing and to see where my career would have gone from there it might have been a case that I might have got the opportunity in the first team in the Premier League things might have been easier but that didn't quite happen so you move around, you, you go from trial to trial and it didn't happen. Did so you have a football up, agent at the time? No, no, not a chance. Do you think in no. hindsight, if you would have had an agent and they could have got you into the right places, I that would have helped? I don't think agents were that prevalent at my level of football. Let's put it that way. You see, I know that agents are much more prevalent in League One, League Two, 
Honestly, um, even even in, even in National League, you go yeah. to National League South games and most of that. the players have got agents. It's insane now. Because the dynamics change now, James. What's happening is a lot of those players would have been in my position. They would have been released from big clubs. But they will go to these smaller teams, as you will know, on the premise of having a couple of good seasons. They're moving back into the league. That was what I was hoping to do. And I got bugged down. If I, when looking back, I kind of got bugged down into that um, level of football, not just technically, but physically, because I had to go and get a job. So I wasn't earning any money. The only jobs I could get were jobs which didn't really fit into a lifestyle of a non-league player where you could train two or three nights a week and play. I would have to miss training sometimes because I'd have to work evenings. I can't remember what job I was doing, but it was like a sales job where I have to go and do demonstrations for certain things in, in people's houses in the evening. So that stopped me from training. I lost a whole level of fitness that I never, ever got back. So it, 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 was, it was difficult. So I'm trying, trying to balance my personal life with earning money and trying to get back into the professional football ranks, which it was very, very difficult to do. The only the time... great thing is, is you did get to keep playing at a, a decent level. Yeah. You were still playing often at like national league level, and I, you were scoring goals yeah. regularly. Well, before that, though, James, I had a season at Starbridge. I had a season at um, VS Rugby and Sutton. Three years of football, I hated. I absolutely hated and I actually wanted I actually thought about just quitting at about 23 24 because I just Why did you hate it because you played at such a decent level that going down to that level just wasn't enjoyable I hadn't recovered I hadn't recovered from being released I just hadn't recovered and my surroundings had just so much so changed quickly in that sort of space of time I hadn't recovered I hadn't got over the fact that someone hadn't given me the chance to be the professional footballer that I believed and wanted to be. I just hadn't got over it. Do you and know one I, of the I, big issues is is that clubs offer no aftercare. Even today, I, yeah. we're chatting to people. They're released from Premier League clubs, Championship, you know, League One, League Two. And the clubs, just most of them, like 99% of them, just say goodbye. And that is it. They don't do anything to help you. And, yeah. you know, it's it's tough. When you think you're going to make it, especially for a football player, your whole life has been that. And you just get released and then that's it. It must have been really tough. Yeah, but one of the things that's different now, James, as you will know, is I, there's a lot more pressure on these young boys financially as well. They'll be at big clubs, they'll earn good money, and they're not going to go anywhere near those, their first teams. And they'll get released. They're earning five grand, ten grand a week, playing under 23 football, which doesn't really develop you, let's be clear. It doesn't develop you in the way it should do, make you ready yep. for first team football. All of a sudden, they'll be released. And they've got to go out into the wide world and get themselves an EFL club where they're not going to earn anywhere near that sort of money. And you know as well as I do that clubs at that level want experienced players. And if you haven't got any experience and you're earning a huge amount of money, you're not that attractive. So that's one of the other issues they have to face as well. And they have to face the pressure of parents who believe that their son is going to be the next superstar. They've quit their jobs. They've remortgaged their house. And everything is on that 18, 19, 20-year-old making it. He's not just making it for them. He's making it for the whole family. So that's a whole nother world of pressure that they have to deal with. I didn't have to deal with that because my parents just said, we will back you whatever you do. So it took me to about the age of 24 
25 to, to, to go to Tamworth and really get the buzz for playing football again. I was around friends. I was around, it was a completely fresh, clean slate. It took me about four or five months to get into the first team there. Started scoring goals, went on an FA Cup run, and that was it. It just, I, went, I got better and better, enjoyed it, playing football on a Saturday, three o'clock with a the crowd there. Fans loved it. And it really enhanced my game, playing with a really good standard of players as well. So that worked out for me. We, I was at Tamworth, we played against Berry in the FA Cup. Neil Warnock was the manager. When he went to Sheffield United, he brought me on trial. So oh. that was a really, I loved every minute of that. Absolutely loved every minute of that. Travelling up from Birmingham to Sheffield every day, training with them for about three months, played in the reserves, scored some goals. Then Neil Warnock pulled me aside and said, Warren, you are, I could put you on my bench now to be in their first team. But I'm gambling that my 19 or 21, 19, 20, 21 year old striker might be better than you in two or three years. So I'm yep. not going to offer you a contract. And I, listen, I, I shook his hand. And I said, thanks very much for the experience. I still, I'm still in touch with Neil now. That was how much time and respect that I had for him because he gave me an opportunity. So the and truth he was is, you, you, well. were, you were good enough to play a decent standard, but just, as you say at the beginning, probably could have put in a little bit more work. Maybe that yeah. would have helped. But then also, I think if, if the right opportunities would have opened up at the right time, you were good yeah. enough. And a lot of football players are good enough and they just, yeah. it just don't my, make my it. as well, James, is when um, I was maybe was playing for the reserves at Leicester and I tore my hamstring. And then, Within another week or two weeks, there was in, there was inju- injuries ahead of me in terms of centre forward opportunities, and then someone else got an opportunity to play in the first team, and they never looked back. So it, it, it's it's luck, it's opportunities, you know, being in the right place at the right time, sliding door moments. But like I said, I don't look back with any sort of bitterness and regret. I'm I'm, I'm happy for the experiences that I've had because those experiences are shaping me as a man and as a father and as a as, as a former journalist, yep. they're yeah. they me now in the business that I'm running. So I'm fine with all that. I've, I've loved every minute of playing for Tamworth, moving up to London to play for Woking, Dulwich Hamlets, as you mentioned, Lewis and, and Barking. I have it in Waterlooville. I loved all those experiences. So I'm grateful for the football career I had. And what I do find interesting is that you go on social media and people talk about failed footballers. They failed in the Premier League. They failed in, in the Championship. And I think to myself, I didn't make one professional or EFL or Premier League um, appearance. And I had the time of my life. I loved the, I loved most of my football career. So I'm grateful for what I had. For what I had. And I think to myself, the guys who have got to that elite level are the elite in their field. And for people to say that they failed even if they make 10 appearances in the Premier League or 20, I would kill for one appearance of five minutes in the Premier League or in the EFL. That just shows you the level of achievement that they've had. And as far as I'm concerned, the lack of respect for their achievements that other people outside of football show them. Yeah, that's, that's a great comment. Thanks, Warren. And so you're playing semi-pro, effectively, and you're doing probably jobs that you're not bothered about wanting to play professional football. Yeah. You then, obviously, I met you working at Talk Sport. So how did you originally get a job in the media? Was it at Talk Sport or somewhere else? Well, 
what was happening, I wanted to get into media when I was work, when I was living in Birmingham and I didn't feel the opportunities were there and my girlfriend, now my wife, said that she wants to move to London and she said to me, do you want to come? And it took me about three seconds to just decide, yeah, let's go for it. So we moved down here. I started working for a few um, local radio stations just doing work experience because I was... Again, I, something I was mentioned, I was actually quite lucky because I was earning reasonably good money at the time playing for Woking in the conference, which allowed me to go out and look for work in my chosen field during the day. So I was working at a local radio station in South East London. I spoke to one of the presenters who was a freelancer, but working at Talk Sport. He introduced me to the old boss who you know was Steve Hodge. Yep. He gave me the opportunity to work there. And... I think after about two or three weeks, I said, Steve, I'm not leaving. I will work here as long as you need me. I'll keep pestering you to give me shifts. So it started from there, and I started working on a few different shows and eventually found a regular home working with Liam Fisher, who is now one of the big bosses at, at, at News UK, working on the Afternoon Hawksby and Jacob show, and that's where things started to really progress for me. Yeah, and where did you go from... Obviously, you had a good career at TalkSport. You were there for quite a lot of years. Yeah. I remember when I would go back and listen to the show. I think at one point you even had your own show on it. I remember listening to you actually presenting on it. So you did some quite cool things at TalkSport. Yeah, listen, I had, a, I had a great time there. I, what I would do, what allowed me, because of the experience that I built up there, because I used to work at the Haters News Agency as well. I used to work at Satanta Sports News all around TalkSport because... I wanted to get as many different experiences within journalism as I could as well. So what that allowed me to do is be a bit more of an all-around journalist. So I I loved interviewing. I loved going and speaking to players, going to reporting on games, getting interviews, press conferences, boxing as well. I loved covering boxing for Talk Sport as well. I covered boxing for Talk Sport all the way up to Anthony Joshua becoming a world champion. I loved doing all that sort of thing. And then I kind of started to um, evolve into me getting transfer stories. And that's where sort of things started to take off for me in a different way where I would, there was some of my time would be focused on getting stories in terms of transfer window, player movement, delivering stories for the website, delivering stories on air, because that was a time as well where the advent of social media, with the advent of, advent of sort of movement of online reporting where Things were happening a lot more quicker. People wanted instant news. And luckily, I was kind of there at the time at TalkSport where if I had a story, if something came to me, I'd look to develop something for the website and then I'd look to develop, deliver that on air as well. So it kind of came at a pretty good time and I developed a pretty good reputation as a broadcast journalist in that way. So that allowed me to sort of evolve my career. And then an opportunity came for me to work at The Sun for four years as well. So I thought... Again, another sort of aspect of me becoming a more of an all-round journalist where I'll be able to dedicate a lot more, a bit more of my time to actually writing online, writing for the newspaper and doing some broadcast work for them as well. So it was all the jobs that I was doing was all about me developing as a professional in, in the media world and allowing me to experience new things. And I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you didn't go to university and get a journalism degree. You were playing football. So what education did you actually get when you were playing football? Because obviously, you're an intelligent guy and you can't go and write for newspapers without having 
you know, a, a good written English and you're obviously great at communicating. So what education did you get when you were playing? Well, again, an interesting thing because when I left school to, to move to Leicester, I wanted to, I wanted to continue English. I wanted to do English A-levels and how it worked because I was, on, I was part of the old YTS system where you did four days a week training and on one day you'd have a release day when you went to college we did a sports and recreation um, course. I hated it. I went into my manager and said, I don't want to do this because I wanted to go to night school. I wanted to do English because I was interested in journalism even at that time. But the problem was, was the English courses for A-level coincided with either me training or me being available to play for the reserves because youth team players had to be available to play for the reserves at the time. So it just didn't happen for me. So I was stuck in a lesson or a course that I didn't really want to do. I had no interest in. So my education dropped um, at, at that point. My my ac- academia dropped. So at the age of 20, when I got released from Le- from Leicester, I went back to college to do a business course. And I, again, I hated it. And I thought that this is, there's no point in me doing this. So my sort of education in terms of media and journalism is me showing enthusiasm wanting to be given an opportunity and me I'll, I'll, I'll admit it the fact that I played football at that time was something that was quite attractive and, and a positive in terms of curiosity for people like um, Haters News Agency and Talk Sport it, it opened doors for me I'll be honest with you it helped open doors and that allowed me to show my ability as a hard worker, someone who can learn quickly, somebody who had a level of intelligence, as you kindly put towards me as well, and, and the opportunity to do what I can do. Because I felt naturally I had a good good eye and a good nose for a story. And as I sort of built up my experience, those things came to the fore a lot more, which allowed me to hopefully flourish in my career as well. And do you still work... In the media as such today yourself, are you doing any writing and are you going on to any radio shows or anything? Are you doing anything like that before we go on no. to the current business? When I when I left The Sun, I would sometimes go on talk sport to kind of do back page reviews. And the more my work sort of took over, the more I kind of thought to myself, even podcasts, I'll be honest with you, I've not done, I've probably done, this is a second podcast in about four years that I've done. I kind of made a point of thinking to myself, if I do these things, is it about me or is it, it, I felt it should be about my clients and the work they're doing. And I didn't really want to sort of be on the record, so to say too much. So I kind of pulled myself away from doing broadcast interviews or, or making comments uh, on air or on the record. But do you miss it? Sorry. Do you miss it? No, I don't. I don't. I thought I would, but I. I don't. I, I, I'm genuinely enjoying what I'm doing now. But I kind of made a point that I would sort of step away from that and focus on building the business, work with my clients, and helping them to be the best they can at what they. Well, want let's to let's do. talk about that. So you're obviously that's a big switch from working in the media to starting your own consultancy and helping other people. How did that first come about? I just felt that. I wanted, I got to a point at the, at the sun where 
I just wanted to do something different. I wanted, I felt there was a space for me within this industry, someone who's played football, someone with a journalistic background, someone who's been a radio and TV producer as well. I felt there was a gap in the industry where I could kind of help footballers or athletes, former and current, in terms of their PR and their media. But what seems to have taken, what has taken over is, for want of a better phrase, talent management, where I work with these guys on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I get them work on TV, radio, online, or, or commercial opportunities. And I help guide them through this sort of crazy but exciting world of media, really. And that's what I look to do in terms of former players, current players. And now it's sort of, I've moved into the world where I'm working with broadcasters who are solely broadcasters as well. And I've, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying helping, working with these guys closely and helping to sort of guide them and, and help shape their careers. It's been, it's been one of the most enjoyable professional experiences of my life, really. So I gather, looking back to like me and you, and we wanted to have a career in media. Effectively, you would help people like us who want, you know, were aspiring to probably be in front of the camera or you know, behind the microphone, etc. Mm -hmm. And you would obviously get help get them jobs and then support them and then help get them more work and probably help them, you know, with their social media. It looks like you help them with pretty much with everything to become a better professional in the sport. I think that's the way to do it because what I've sort of prided myself in is wanting to work with good people and not only good people James good people who want to listen and want to learn and I think that's one of the key things that I've sort of found which has worked well when one of my clients is on the radio when they're on the tv I watch my, my wife drives my wife crazy sometimes she said are oh, you sat there watching football again or you sat in the kitchen listening to the radio but she knows it's my job i'm that as a football agent my wife's like what are you doing tonight and i'm like i'm off to go and watch some random game and it's yeah you, you have to you, you've got to support them absolutely you know and that's she understands that i listen i make notes i watch i make notes i'll speak to them after their broadcast after their tv or radio show and i think it's important that I am not, I'm not necessarily a media trainer per se, but I know what sounds good and what looks good and what is good on air, TV or radio. I know what looks good. I know what producers want because I've been a producer. I know what TV producers want or editors want because I've been in that room and I offer my advice. I offer my experience of being part of that process, you know, goes from calling, booking guests. I, I have people from their various out outlets calling me for my clients. So I understand and respect the job they're doing and I try to get back to them and answer them and as quickly as I can because I understand that they have deadlines and they have it, it will get to a point where they might have to go elsewhere. So I'm always doing my best to give them a response as quickly as I can and give them an answer to what they want as quickly as I can as well. Being a producer, I've helped make radio shows. So I understand how a guest or how a presenter or how a co-presenter is supposed to sound. I understand how the dynamic of a presenter and a co-presenter is because I've worked with them. And in terms of TV as well, I, I, I know how all these things are supposed to be. I know how TV shows are put together and I know dynamics between, between 
broadcasters, presenters, and pundits and analysts. And I know what those two entities want and have to deliver to make a good TV show. So I put all that experience into into my clients. And who are your most profile clients that you've got on at the moment? Well, James, if I said one and I don't have to say another, then <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a bit of a problem here. I will mention some of the clients I have and you can take Not necessarily out. the most high profile, not no. the ones you like. Just in mention no, some names. Yeah. In, no, in no particular order. I work with um, Joby Makinoff. I always will mention him because he was my first client and we've been together for the whole of the three years that I've been running the consultancy. That get his first gig, I remember it was working on Yahoo Sports. They had an online TV show. That was his first gig with me. His first radio gig was working on TalkSport 2 on an EFL show. And from then, we've just sort of, as he was playing later, we've built and built and built his career. We've built and built his brand to where he is now. And as far as I'm concerned, I know I'm biased, but I don't care. He's, I think pound for pound, he's one of the best broadcasters, one of the best football analysts on TV in his country at the moment. I believe in him that much. I think he's that good. I work with Leanne Sanderson, who I think is absolutely fantastic as well. Jermaine Beckford. I'm working with some other people as well who I don't want to put any sort of pressure on them as well, like Becky Spencer, who's a Spurs goalkeeper at the moment. Gemma Davidson, who's current former England international as well. And on the sort of presenting side, I'm proud to that I represent Jackie Oatley, who's one of the most respected journalists and broadcasters in, in the UK. Her career and her CV is second to none. Semra Hunter, who works for La Liga TV, really excited about what the future holds for her. Same goes for Vishali Bardwaj, who, who works for the Premier League channel and has worked for the BBC and Sky. Ali Drew, who has worked for The Zone on their boxing coverage. So I've got a real good core well, of... I'll tell you what's interesting. You've got a lot of women. And yeah. I remember when we first we first met you know, at Talk Sport. And uh, there wasn't many women working at Talk Sport back in the day. It was really difficult. I think Gabby Logan in TV, you got to think she had it. She yeah. presented it. But there's only a handful of names that you can really think of 15 years right. ago. And now it's completely yeah. different. Yeah. You, you go on the TV and it's it's full of women. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. It's exactly. Great. It's a great thing. It's great because I remember, um, remember Kelly Cates coming over to work for us at Talk Sport and... I produced one of her shows for a week as well. So it has gone from people like Jim Rosenthal or Elton Wellsby or Richard Keyes. And now we're moving. And now you look at the presenters on Skype, Dave Jones, brilliant presenter. You've got got Kelly Cates, I mentioned, fantastic presenter, Caroline Barker, Michelle Owen, Laura Woods. Emma Sanders, brilliant crop of broadcasters on there. And someone you know as well, Jules Breach, who's been working on the Premier League channel as well. Now has given been given her opportunity on, on ITV and Channel Four. So there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent, and the competition's fierce. We've even mentioned someone like Kelly Summers, who I who I know really well. He's a brilliant presenter and broadcaster as well. So male, female, the talent. There's a huge plethora and wide range of talent at the disposal of 
radio and um, TV outlets to choose from. And for you to work with someone, what are you looking for? Because obviously you've got a very high caliber of talent yeah. working for you at the moment. So if someone came to you, what are you looking for? What should they be doing? You know, you mentioned at the beginning about get originally starting getting work experience somewhere, then working your way up. But at what level would you start working with someone? I'm, I'm, a, I'm very lucky where I can be very without saying now, I can be because of who I'm working with and the time and effort I'm putting into that. I think I'm at a point where I can be reasonably picky in terms of who I want to bring into the consultancy. I want people who are talented, hardworking, want to listen and, and want to learn, and lots of sort of lots of prospects, lots of sort of latitude to take their career forward. That's what I'm looking for. And people who are offering something different, that's one of the key things now. What are you offering different? What can you bring to this world of media, whether it's radio, TV or online? What can you offer that you believe or I believe or TV or radio outlets haven't got at the moment? And that's, as time goes by, that's becoming tougher and tougher and tougher. So those are the things that I think a lot of sort of aspiring broadcasters um, need to think about what they're offering. What are they offering that's different from a journalistic point of view? If you want to be a journalist or a broadcast journalist, what are you offering? Can you get interviews? Can you still get stories? It's not about your social media profiles. It's not about what you're doing on, on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. The fundamentals, can you still deliver the fundamentals of your job, which is reporting, getting great interviews and getting stories? And what does your working week look like? I, I got a feeling you're not doing a nine till five office job. So talk us through what your, your week normally looks like. Well, first and foremost, mate, I've got to do the important things, which is take my daughter to school. Yep. In the morning. That's that's the most important job I have of the day. Then it's it all depends what I like about my job. It's it's each day is different. I could be meeting one of my clients to catch up with them, just to kind of go through, that, which is what I'm doing now, actually. I'm kind of meeting as many of my clients as I can in terms of it's that time of the year where we want to kind of look back and reflect and kind of think about where you want to go next season or, you know, the next 12 months to 18 months or two years. Where do you want to be? I could be going to events with them. I could be going to shoots with them, which, you, which is what I've been doing as well. And it, that's it, it, it depends. So I could be having meetings with broadcasters. I could be having meetings with agencies in terms of they might be interested in one of my clients or there might be a case where I'm looking to pitch my clients because as established as some of my clients are, you always, I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm not pitching anybody. Half part of the job is sales. Default, I've become a salesperson in some ways because I have clients that I still need to sell. It doesn't matter. They're your they product, are. effectively. Your clients are your product and you've got to sell yeah. your product. Exactly. Yeah. That's, it's still a case where I have to kind of let people know. I have to get in their faces. I have to, my emails have to be as high up their, as high up their inbox as possibly, as possible. So that's where you have to be. I've got to let people know that my client is available. I've got to let my client know that, you know, what you're doing is great, but I believe that's, could my client enhance what you're doing in, in a respectful manner? And that's, that's how I do things, you know. And then it's not just about them getting work. It's being on the end of a phone call as well. It's 
they've got if there are any issues it's being there if they want to talk to you about certain things it's being a phone call away and i always make sure that anybody who i work with i am a phone call away i'm not going to ignore that call I'll, I'll take the call when i can or call them back but i think it's important that the people you work with they're not your mates when you first meet them but they become friends by default because you have so much time with them and you want to have that human connection with them by default you become friends and that's one of the things well if you become friends with somebody you, you, you're always going to be a phone call away i want to end the podcast with one or two you know funny stories or something from your time working in the media in the game but before we go and, and do that what's your what's your website address so people can go on your website it's www.haughton.consultancy.com. Great. So obviously you've worked with some incredible people over the years, both when you played in the media, but have you got any funny stories just to leave us with from your time at, you know, at TalkSport or The Sun or when you were playing? Oh, there's a couple of, There's a couple at TalkSport. Listen, everyone knows um, what it's, it's a really enjoyable and interesting place to sort of work with. One, one, one obvious one that sticks out is me producing the breakfast show with Alan Brazil one morning. And he, Alan's notoriously notorious for kind of sort of turning up, not late, but very, <laughs> very quickly before you say late, I once had to call him and say, where are you? And he picked up the phone and he was in Monaco. <laughs> So you say he doesn't turn up late. Once he didn't turn up for me. Well, that's 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 happened. I, I remember <laughs> my it was my very first breakfast show. I, I got, listen, I got there about half four in the morning. You know, first time I'd done, it, I'm like, what is going on here? So everything's ready, running orders ready. You blink, it's quarter to six. Where's Alan? Looking for Alan. Is Alan going to come? Is he Alan going to turn up? Six o'clock. The news starts. No, Alan. Three minutes past six, the sports bulletin started. Alan Brazil walks in and I'm like, oh my gosh, Alan. Here's your script. Here's your running order. And I think, I'm, I'm, I'm panicking because it's not happened to me before. I'm not used to working like this. And what was amazing was all of a sudden, Alan, Alan switched on. He clearly hadn't, I don't think he was quite aware of what had gone on the night before the games. Then he starts reading his script and then it was like, Yep, unfortunately Spurs lost last night. And so he's reading it as if the, the news he was delivering for the audience was news to him. So he was having to start to get his head around what was going on while he was reading the headlines. Oh, that happened. They lost. They won. Really? So that was one of my real sort of close shades. And another one as well was when I was um, one of the producers on the Hawksby and Jacob show, as you know. And... We had a studio guest come in. I confirmed with the studio guest. The studio guest had confirmed with me, but I hadn't put it in the diary and I hadn't put it in the running order. So this guest was a, co a comedian stroke presenter, but the problem was he was turning up to do his segment on Hawksby Jacobs in character, one of his characters. So I get a phone call from reception saying, your guest has arrived. I'm like, what guest? And then I realise who it is. So I go down and collect him and then I kind of sheepishly walk into the studio and explain to Paul Hawksby and Andy Jacobs, guys, um, 
your next guest isn't who is on the running order. It's somebody else. And he's going to be in character. So they give me some of the sternest looks that I've ever had in my professional career in radio broadcasting. And the interview was a disaster because there was no notes. And the actual guest dropped out of character on air and said, you didn't know I was, co- I was turning up, did you? Oh. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I get a look through the studio glass at me. So it was one of those ones where I just had to listen. It was a disaster. It was all my fault. I had to take full responsibility for it. I got the, a huge verbal kicking afterwards. And then luckily we laughed about it. So that was the lesson to me. Put everything in your diary. Don't ever forget anything. Plan, plan, plan again. Check, check, check everything again. So you don't have to be in another position where you forget to put something in your diary, which is, which has already been booked. So we can look back and laugh. It was it was funny now, but at the time it was one of the worst experiences of my sort of broadcasting radio production career. Well, that was two great stories, Warren. Thank you so much for for coming on. It's been great fun. And uh, look forward to following you on social media. What's your Twitter? Because I really do enjoy your tweets as well. Thank you. (laughs) It's at Warren Horton, H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N. And my other one is for for my consultancy. It's at Horton Sports. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Warren. No worries, mate. Good to speak to you. It was great fun catching up with Warren. Please make sure you do subscribe to the podcast. And next week, I chat with my colleague, Jack Wilson, who is a top football agent, so you won't want to miss that one.